You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Demand for online services during the pandemic stresses government providers. APT41's backdoor campaign is aimed at information theft contact tracking apps and privacy, some courts move to hear cases online, Zoom's continuing mixed success, and did you file your tax return? The crooks might have done so for you. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. As COVID-19 drives more public services online, The Wall Street Journal reports that the state agencies involved in providing them, especially those agencies that administer unemployment claims, are struggling to maintain or achieve enough capacity to handle demand. The journal singles out New York, Colorado, and Oregon as particularly hard hit, but adds that other states are feeling similar pressure. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 has amplified earlier reports by FireEye researchers on an APT41 campaign that targeted Citrix, Cisco, and Zoho network appliances. The effort exploited recently disclosed vulnerabilities, and it ran between January and March of this year. Unit 42 is particularly interested in the Citrix campaign, which used a free BSD-based backdoor the researchers call Speculus against healthcare, higher education, manufacturing, government, and technology service targets. The campaign appeared to be opportunistic, seeking to take advantage of the exploits before patching reduced their value. APT-41 is generally regarded as a Chinese government threat actor. Development of contact tracking tools proceeds with interest from both government and tech companies. Privacy hawks are skittish. Apple responded to an inquiry from a group of U.S. senators about the implications of the contact tracking tools Cupertino is working to develop. The company said its agreement with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services specifies that the COVID-19 triage tools it develops will have strong privacy safeguards. Any sharing of data or analytics with the Centers for Disease Control will be anonymized, aggregated, and delivered only with the expressly given consent of the user. Information will be further disclosed to third parties only when such disclosure is required by law. Apple's screening site and the associated app are not, Apple thinks, subject to HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. This is mostly because the users enter their own data and no covered entity, like a healthcare provider, health insurance company, or healthcare clearinghouse, is touching the data. 
That said, Apple claims that it intends to, quote, meet some of the technical safeguard requirements of HIPAA, such as access controls and transmission security, end quote. Apple says it collects only the information necessary to support the operation of the COVID-19 website and app, such as users' usage of the tool and app. This information does not include information entered by individuals. Apple only retains this information for so long as necessary to support the operation of the COVID-19 website and app. Information no longer needed is deleted or rendered permanently unrecoverable in accordance with industry standards. The company says that users can access their personal information through Apple's global privacy portal. There won't, however, be much personal information there, as Apple says it's strongly committed to data minimization. And Apple says it will refrain from using any data it collects with the tools for commercial purposes, and it will not sell any of those data to third parties. In answer to the senator's questions about cybersecurity, Apple repeated the standard sorts of reassurances that could be offered with respect to its products generally. Data transmitted between users' devices and Apple is encrypted with transport layer security to protect it during transport. The company's formal change management process will ensure that new versions of its code will be appropriately tested for security before fielding, and access to both data and source code will be restricted to authorized personnel only. Foreign Affairs has a long and exasperated op-ed that presents a contrarian view of the conflict between privacy and public health. The author argues that seeing such tension as an insurmountable obstacle to tracking the pandemic presents a false dilemma and amounts to a lazily drawn dichotomy. There's no devil's pact necessarily involved, the essay says, and clear-eyed application of sound practices should enable governments, companies, and individuals to slip between the horns of this false dilemma. As employees embrace teleworking, organizations are finding themselves needing to up their remote security game. And an area that's seeing unsurprising attention is the VPN, the virtual private network that provides an encrypted connection over the Internet. Francis Dinha is founder and CEO of VPN provider OpenVPN. Well, the response has been kind of more of a, I would say, a wave, a tsunami for us of demand coming in especially uh, the couple of weeks, the last couple of weeks, because a lot of companies are moving toward more remote uh, workforce and more virtualizations. And we're seeing that basically in the demand that's coming in and a lot of purchases and basically a lot of need for the support. So we had to actually rush because we have customer uh, success team reps that they deal with our customers sometimes on the tickets or uh, technical support. So we have to actually staff. And we were very lucky to find, you know, a couple, uh, I mean, just the last two weeks, we've hired about four more people in Philippines to support, to really cope with all the support tickets and all that. At some point, we saw uh, a demand that typically we used to see in And I would say in one week or 10 days, we saw the demand in one day. That's how Hmm. crazy was it, you know. Uh, However, right now it's kind of getting normalized, but still um, it's high demand than the the normal. So we're, we're continuing to see that. So it was a wave, kind of a tsunami. And then you see this aftershocks and then it's getting normalized right now. Everybody is realizing you know, we're going to have to virtualize our operations. We have to 
basically have more of a remote workforce and so on. So definitely a VPN specifically for businesses, of course, it's in a big demand right now. What is your advice for those organizations that find themselves you know, suddenly having to ramp up uh, their use of VPNs? What sort of uh, things can you, uh, can you suggest? Well, my advice is really to start rethinking about your strategy in terms of your infrastructure and the remote for, or workforce, because this is, this is an important. Uh, I mean, I, I want to do some kind of correlation between what happened with the, with the coronavirus, because we, we talked about social distancing, right? So social distancing, apparently it's helping because you're not exposing yourself to the virus to, to basically, and then it somehow we were taking that curve down. So there's less, less people infected. So I think that analogy applied to the internet. When you have everybody is using just the internet and, and deploying their services over the public internet and using all these public services, in a way you, you're, you're really uh, socializing, you're, you're basically somehow more vulnerable to the actually, uh, I would say the viruses, now it's the cyber attacks. So what I would tell you know, a lot, to a lot of businesses is do the same thing here. Uh, let's call it more network distancing. So network distancing is really try to isolate your resources, try to basically protect the asset that you have using the VPN technologies, because this is the time to really to rethink and start thinking outside the box. That's Francis Dinha from OpenVPN. Telework has even entered the courthouse. Law 360 says the U.S. Supreme Court will begin hearing oral arguments via teleconferencing, and the New York Law Journal reports that New York state courts will expand their virtual courts even as they place a hold on new filings. Military.com reports that Zoom's now well-known struggles with privacy and security have induced the U.S. Department of Defense to place most versions of the service off-limits to most of its organizations. And GCN says that the Department of Homeland Security's Immigration and Customs Enforcement has cautioned its personnel and contractors not to rely on Zoom. Zoom itself has scrambled to close security and privacy holes, and The Verge says that the company has decided to give paying customers the option of choosing the call center through which their traffic will be routed. That is, they can opt to keep their traffic out of China. CTO Vision, for its part, sends Zoom a mash note, it's still their favorite business-grade collaboration tool. The article praises Zoom for the work it's done to address security and privacy issues and argues that it's better to trust a responsive company than one that never gets around to fixing things. It's true that Zoom has been responsive, but some of its issues, notably the involvement of Chinese companies in producing its code, are tougher to untangle. Zoom's exploding market share has drawn a plague of hackers, Leaping Computer says that over half a million Zoom accounts are on offer in dark web markets. Some are free and some go for pennies. Others are pricier but still affordable, as these things go. More expensive are the exploits on offer. Mashable reports that these can command as much as $30,000 on the black market. Zoom's troubled success has also drawn the attention of competitors. Microsoft, according to the Wall Street Journal, is pushing its teams as a superior alternative. And finally, it's income tax season in the U.S., despite some COVID-19-based forgiveness about filing deadlines. Tax season is drawing the customary attention of criminals, CyberScoop notes, filing returns with stolen taxpayer data in order to illicitly obtain refunds. 
In one noteworthy case, they were able to use data stolen from a large California accounting firm, Weber & Company, to file the fraudulent returns. The firm's disclosure said the data the hackers got may have included names, addresses, social security numbers, W-2 and 1099 forms, and bank account information, including routing numbers. Both the FBI and IRS are investigating. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, always great to have you back. Um, had an interesting article come by. This is uh, via a publication called GeekWire, uh, written by Monica Nicholsberg. And the title of the article is Microsoft President Calls Washington State's New Facial Recognition Law a Significant Breakthrough. Uh, of course, Microsoft, a Washington state company, and Microsoft, a big player when it comes to things like uh, online digital privacy. Uh, what are they getting at here? So this is a, a groundbreaking facial recognition regulation uh, or new law in Washington state signed by the governor, Jay Inslee. The law has a number of elements in it. I think most importantly, uh, law enforcement has to obtain a warrant before using facial recognition software in any legal investigation except if there were some sort of exigent circumstances, like a hot pursuit. Uh, hmm. It also uh, requires all public agencies to regularly report on their use of facial recognition technology. They are required to test the software for fairness and accuracy, you know, to make sure that we're not generating a lot of false positives. Uh, hmm. And it establishes an oversight body, a task force, to study how various state agencies are using facial recognition uh, software. Any agency that makes what they call decisions that have, quote, legal effects has to ensure that a human reviews the results. 
So any decision that could affect a person's job, financial services, housing, insurance, and education, if an entity is using facial recognition software, whatever method they've used has to be reviewed by a human being. Uh, so I think that is a very progressive and groundbreaking step that Washington State has taken. It's appropriate that Washington State took that measure. As you mentioned, uh, Microsoft is headquartered there. I'm sure the lawmakers in Washington State don't want to do anything that upsets one of their largest employers. But it's also interesting that Microsoft, which sells facial recognition software, is on board with this. They think yeah. this uh, achieves a good balance between protecting privacy, but also enabling uh, state agencies, particularly law enforcement, to use facial recognition for legitimate purposes. Now, there were some folks who feel as though this uh, came up short. Some uh, some of the folks from the ACLU uh, of Washington uh, felt like it didn't go far enough. Yeah. So one of their leaders was disappointed that the law didn't establish a working group of community leaders to weigh in. So the task force is a government task force. I think that's a very valid criticism. Uh, you want community buy-in and you want the public to have a say, even if it's representatives of various public interest groups like the ACLU. Um, you know, it's always good to get a third set of eyes on a government policy, you know, from people who are not directly involved uh, with the policy itself. And, you know, I think that's particularly important as it relates to the effect of facial recognition on disfavored groups. Uh, and this article mentions African-Americans, indigenous communities, which, you know, have faced prejudice as a result of, of this type of technology in the past. Mm -hmm. This technology can amplify human biases. And, you know, that's something we've talked about on, on our podcast and on uh, the CyberWire so I think it's certainly a valid criticism that people who are representing these groups, people who represent civil liberties interests, should have a seat at the table here. But, you know, I think because the law is groundbreaking and, it, and it's among the first of its kind in the country, there's certainly room to uh, improve it. And perhaps legislators will take this criticism into consideration as they amend it. Or other states who want to institute similar regulations can listen to the uh, complaints of the representatives of the ACLU and try and integrate uh, the community into its oversight structure. Hmm. Yeah, interesting to see uh, Washington State leading the way here. Uh, it's that uh, laboratory of the states, right? It sure is. And, you know, it's it's nice to see Washington State in the headlines for something that's not the COVID-19 outbreak. So <laughs> <laughs> that was that was refreshing after what's gone on over the past couple of that's months. Right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, it'll be an interesting one to follow to see how other states uh, follow in their own uh, privacy laws with facial recognition or not. Uh, we'll have to watch this one play out. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 